Hello, and thank you for listening to the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal podcast. The Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal is co-sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators and the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics. My name is Eva Thanheiser, and I'm talking with Mark Krager from the University of Southern Indiana, Rachel Snyder from the College of New Jersey, and Christopher Parrish from the University of South Alabama. We'll discuss the article, Learning to Launch Cognitively Demanding Task, a Practice-Based Unit for Secondary Methods, which was published in the February 2021 issue of the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal. We will begin by summarizing the main points of the article and discuss in more depth the lessons they shared in the article, their successes and challenges, and how these lessons relate to their other work. Mark, Rachel, and Christopher, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So let's jump in to our first question. Can you give us a very brief summary of the article, including the results? Yeah. So we designed a unit of instruction for our secondary methods course to help our students learn how to launch cognitively demanding tasks. We collected data from five different sections and used a noticing framework to analyze that data. We found that Engaging in the unit developed our pre-service teachers' understanding of the four aspects of an effective task launch, which we'll describe in more detail later. Our evidence to support this claim was that the pre-service teachers were able to talk about the four aspects with increased specificity, and they learn ways to develop common language without reducing cognitive demand. All right. We're going to talk about all of that in more detail as we move through this podcast So let's start by who should read the article. We think the article will be of interest to teacher educators and to those who do professional development with teachers. Okay. All of uh, the MTE papers address an important problem of practice. What is the problem of practice that your article addresses? So we really focus on cognitively demanding tasks and uh, launching cognitively demanding tasks. And the reason being, we know that cognitively demanding tasks affects student learning, um, but also that teachers struggle to maintain the cognitive demand of tasks once those are introduced uh, and implemented in the classroom. And so Jackson and colleagues found that how a task is launched or introduced is particularly important as the launch determines which students can engage with the task, how those students engage with the task, and the type of work the teacher does during the launch, as they may be reintroducing the task to students if it was not launched well, or if it was launched well and students understand what is that they are trying to accomplish, then they instead are supporting students as they think and reason with the mathematics. So really the launch affects who has access to learning through the cognitively demanding task. And then also in Jackson's work, They found that out of over 400 observed lessons, that just over 6% of those included all key aspects of a task launch. So based on the implications of cognitively demanding tasks with respect to student learning, and as well as the challenges um, that teachers have experienced with launching a task, we felt that focusing a unit of instruction on supporting PST or pre-service teachers with learning to launch a task would be helpful and needed. So you already touched on some of the literature base that you built on. Did you guys want to talk a little bit more about what theories you drew on? Sure. We really had three areas of literature that we drew on. Chris mentioned um, the four key aspects of a task launch from uh, Cara Jackson and her colleagues. When we designed the unit, we utilized 
Grossman and colleagues' pedagogies of practice. And then the third was analyzing the data. We, we used a noticing framework, and so we can describe each of those a little more. Gro Jackson and her colleagues analyzed lessons for um, over 400 middle school lessons and how the teacher launched the task. And what they found was that there were these four key features that involved the key context, describing the key contextual features of the task, the key mathematical ideas and relationships within the task. They needed to develop common language among the students, which they referred to as a taken as shared understanding of both the contextual features and the mathematical relationships. And the teacher needed to do all of this while maintaining the cognitive demand. So the second area that we drew on was Grossman and colleagues' pedagogies of practice. In the unit, we represent the practice of launching a task using classroom video of mathematics teachers launching tasks. And then next in the unit, we decompose the practice using Jackson and colleagues' four key aspects that we just talked about, um, and we discuss each feature. And then at the end, the last part of the unit, the pre-service teachers each approximate the practice by planning and enacting a task launch. To analyze all that data, we use the noticing framework from Sharon's 2007 definition, which characterizes noticing by two sub-processes, processes, uh, selective attention and knowledge-based reasoning. Selective attention refers to determining what features of a complex event to isolate, focus on, tune into, and knowledge-based reasoning refers to the interpretation one makes about what was noticed in relation to their knowledge and understanding of the event. And from our reading of, of the pretty vast noticing framework, there's some agreement that high-level noticing can be described with describing things in, in events and increased specificity, using evidence to support claims, moving from just mere descriptions to interpretations of what was seen, and then also offering alternative explanations for the events that were seen. I'm like utterly impressed by how well you guys coordinated the response to this question. I'm not don't even have any follow-up questions now. So let's jump into describing the innovation. And before you jump in, I just want to point out that there is a fairly long appendix to the article for people who want to see it. But let's try to describe it for people who may not have read the article yet. What is the innovation and how does it address the problem of practice? All right, so the unit that we developed spans two different class periods. And it, as Rachel mentioned, it was designed using the Pedagogies of Practice framework. And so before the very first class in the unit, we found four different videos of secondary teachers launching tasks that had varying aspects of effective and ineffective aspects. And so we had the students watch those four videos. And after each video, they completed a Google form to where they stated what they felt were the effective aspects and then the ineffective aspects of each video. And then following that, we had them read the first part of the Jackson 2013 article that really details the four key aspects of a task launch. So during that first class session, we shared the students' comments with them and we compare and contrast their ideas around effective and ineffective aspects with those that they read in the Jackson article. And then we have them rewatch one or more of those test launch videos that they did before class, but this time looking at those from the perspective and lens of the, the four key aspects identified by Jackson and colleagues. 
So at the end of that class, we talk to them about the rehearsals that they will participate in. And so we have developed a, a task bank of contextually based cognitively demanding tasks. And so students select a task based on their interest. And then also in a Jackson 2012 article, they provide a list of planning questions and preparation for launching a task. And so the students work through those questions also using a Google form in preparation for their rehearsal or task launch. And then in that second class session, either whole group, depending on the size of the class, or if there's a larger class splitting the class into smaller groups, students rehearse practicing their task launch to where their peers act as secondary students. And then feedback is provided using um, Jackson and colleagues criteria. And then two of the three of us on our final exam had students also watch a video of a new task launch and then evaluate that launch with respect to each of the four criteria identified by Jackson, identifying effective and ineffective aspects. So I'm going to try to summarize what I think I heard. So the first part is watching several videos about task launch and having the students discuss those without having a framework. Then you provide them with the framework and rewatch some of the videos. Yeah, that's correct. And that's the first part. And then the second part is where they pick a task and prepare to practice to launch it in the class setting. Yes. Right. Uh, and I'm assuming they're supposed to pay attention to the four aspects. Yeah. So the questions in the planning document provide them with some structure, like as you're looking at your task, you know, what are some of the key mathematical ideas and relationships? Um, another question is, how are you going to create common language without reducing cognitive demand and or what sh- should you specifically avoid saying to reduce the cognitive demand are some of the questions that are on that form. Okay, so that's the innovation. How does it address the problem of practice? For our purposes, I think the thing that's helpful is, you know, as you said, we, we give them these videos with no framework because we wanted to get a sense of their own thinking about it and what was important to them you know, what they thought was an important aspect of it and also give them some information about what research says is important about it. And in my own classes in the past, when I would teach things like this, I would always be, you know, students seem to agree like, oh, this is a good idea. We should do this. Yes, I understand. There's this idea called a task launch. But I think what's missing is they're not really sure what they're unaware of about it. So it kind of fills in those gaps. It gives them the opportunity to kind of express what they know about what a task launch is and then learn some new things about what they maybe should include in them. And then also then practice doing that with their peers. So in a sense, like they get their own ideas out, then they get the framework to kind of see whether they can see pieces of the framework in the videos and then they get to practice. Right. And I think the nice thing from our, the data that we found is that they were noticing aspects of the framework. So this wasn't shocking to them. It's just they kind of, as we'll explain later, they became, they were able to talk about these things in more detailed ways and in more nuanced ways. All right. So let's jump into the, what was your research question that you studied to document the effectiveness of the innovation? We had two main research questions. The first is, what did our pre-service teachers notice as effective and ineffective aspects 
of cognitively demanding task launches before the unit in terms of selective attention and knowledge-based reasoning, which are two indicators of advanced noticing. And the second is what changes occurred in our pre-service teachers noticing of cognitively demanding task launches after the unit, again, in terms of selective attention and knowledge-based reasoning. So really what did they notice before the unit? And then what changes did we see as a result of the unit? And what evidence did you use to make the, your case? So in terms of our findings, we summarized our findings kind of in two different ways, looking at the pre-service teacher's development and noticing across the four key aspects. And then we also looked within each of the four key aspects. So looking across the four key aspects, we saw that the pre-service teachers developed the ability to notice when one of the four key aspects was missing. On the okay. pre-class assignment, as a group, they did discuss all of the four features of each video, but individual pre-service teachers rarely described all four aspects for any one video. That actually only happened three out of 45 times. And on the pre-class assignment, the pre-service teachers really focused on what was in the videos. So in one video, there really wasn't much of a launch, but the pre-service teachers rarely commented on all of the things that were missing in that video. Mm -hmm. Whereas on the final exam, they were able to notice when, one, when a key aspect was missing. So in the final exam video, the pre-service teachers noticed that the teacher in the video talks about the data and comments on speed, but speed is actually not used to solve the problem. And so the pre-service or the teacher in the video actually fails to address important mathematical ideas and relationships. And all but one pre-service teacher noticed this on the final exam. Another finding across all four key aspects was that we noticed our pre-service teachers had a loss of contradictory beliefs. So on the pre-class assignment, several of the pre-service teachers directly contradicted themselves by saying that something was both effective and ineffective. So one pre-service teacher wrote, although I said it was effective, I also think it's ineffective to go over what each word means. And we didn't see any of this on the final exam. And we can keep going. When we tried to think about each of the four key aspects, the big thing that we noticed was there was a growth in specificity. So for mathematical relationships on the pre-class assignment, there was only what we called one specific description. And, and by that, basically, we meant that when you read the description, you had some sense of what mathematics the teacher was discussing on the task. So generally speaking, they would say, you know, something to the effect of the teacher did a good job explaining the math. They wouldn't dive in and say anything more specific than that. Or the teacher covered the data well, and it, it wasn't clear what the actual task was about. And that on the final exam, though, over half the population size was specifically commenting on the mathematics that was covered in the task and identifying the, the actual key mathematical relationship that should be discussed. Same thing with contextual features, only about a quarter of the pre-class assignments were specific, but more than half were on the were specific on the final exam when it came to describing the contextual feature. And that the final exam task was somewhat interesting is they're given a task about the 100 yard, 100 meter dash in the Olympics. And she launches it by discussing Michael Phelps, who's a swimmer. And all of the students sort of commented on how she's describing a running task using a swimming context. And the other thing 
that we noticed is that they were not just describing what the mathematics or the context specifically, but they were evaluating whether what they saw was effective or not. So only two pre-service teachers failed to do that on the final exam. And then the other was the developed the ability to, to talk about how to create common knowledge. So on the pre-class assignment, common knowledge was a bit weak. We used the fact that they like multiple student voices, but that really came down from the fact that they kept using plural. They would say students did this. And so we thought, well, maybe they're sort of subtly telling us that it's important to have multiple students here. They weren't necessarily saying the teacher incorporated multiple students. They also really liked that the teacher used a talk move in one of the pre-class assignment videos. And we find those valuable, like the rest of the mathematics education community, except for the way that they were talking about it. It was more so that the teacher had paraphrased. They liked that the teacher had paraphrased what the students had done. And they didn't suggest that the teacher should have a student paraphrase or any other type of talk move. On the final exam, they also liked the inclusion of multiple voices. They were able to talk about it more specifically. So in that final exam video, she only talks to two students. And they said, I like that she talked to two students, but maybe she should have brought in more voices. They also liked that their unfamiliar terms were clarified and that paraphrasing did happen, but they also suggested that they could suggest that a student use a talk move, specifically saying, when, you know, when a student gave an answer, they would say, it would have been nice if she had asked another student to rephrase what was just said. So there were some very, again, evaluative comments and specific comments that were being given. That being said, we do talk about one issue is that they really struggled to know what should be said without reducing the cognitive demand, which Chris is going to talk about. Yeah. So on the pre-class videos, there's really a wide variation in what they thought was effective or ineffective um, and even some contradiction within those comments. And so in some cases, students would say that they wish the teacher had indicated the underlying concepts addressed within the task, like she should have told them that this was a systems of equations task or provided an example. And then in another case, there was a video that really did not have much of a launch at all. And so students felt like that launch was effective in increasing the cognitive demand of the task. And then in one of the other videos, the teacher really spent, you know, multiple minutes breaking down every word in more so like a math word problem and students thought it was effective that uh, she broke the task down so well and so no real clear consensus on their views of cognitive demand during the pre-class videos and in the final exam there were still some issues but they were much more on the side of either they felt like so in the final exam video she suggested um, some things about graphing using the data to make a graph. And so some students felt like this was telling too much. Others felt like it was appropriate. And we really kind of concluded that without knowledge of the students in the classroom or the how the lesson was situated within the larger curriculum, that in some cases, students maybe felt like these were 11th graders and graphing was well, what they were actually working with was well beyond that. And so mention of that by the teacher was in no way lowering the cognitive demand. Whereas other students might have felt like maybe that was more so aligned with the 
learning objectives of the lesson. And because of that, felt like it reduced the cognitive demand. And so while no one was suggesting that the teacher make things more explicit or explain the problem, there was still some variation in what the students thought about the maintenance of cognitive demand on that final exam. So that was a lot of stuff that you found. Let's kind of try to summarize. If somebody asked you, what is the new contribution that your study makes to the field of math teacher education? What would you say that is? I would say that we see our unit as the major contribution of this work. We hope that other math teacher educators will be able to take up the unit and make it their own. Um, As you mentioned before, the appendix includes a really detailed outline of the unit, including how we handled some aspects differently because of our institutional differences, um, differences in class size, and differences in terms of how long our classes were. So we think it would be really easy for someone else to use the unit and to adapt it to suit their students and their context. I also think that in terms of like summarizing the results, it's it's launching a cognitively demanding task is a learnable skill for novice teachers, but it's not something that's necessarily going to happen within a two class unit. And some of the issues that we ran into, Chris was mentioning, it could be they need some experience teaching to where they learn about their curriculum because they seem to not know, is it okay to talk about, should we graph this year or should we not? Right. And so I think with some more experience teaching 11th grade or teaching whatever grade they'll teach, they'll learn that in certain grades, explaining how to graph is probably giving away the solution, whereas in others, it's not. So a skill that I think that they can develop, but also maybe not necessarily fully right away. All right. So let's wrap up by, uh, let me just ask an open question of all three of you. What else would you like to share with the listeners? The big thing I would share is just, we have another manuscript about this work that's under review. We're hoping to have out there soon, really looking at our students' enactments. Yeah, how they planned the launches that they gave to their peers, which is not something that we cover. That sounds really exciting. I can't wait for that. We also use Google Forms a lot in our unit. And so we have all of those linked um, within the appendix of this paper and have the Google Forms formatted to where it, it forces you to make a copy. And so when other math teacher educators visit that appendix and want to use this in their own courses, those Google Forms are available to them to use and would allow them to use it in a way that they can see their students' data. Yeah, that. And then you also have all the videos linked in your appendix. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining today. Thank Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. For further information on this topic, you can find the article on the Mathematics Teacher Educator website. This has been your host, Ava Thenheiser. Thank you for listening and goodbye.